This is the Cognitive History Podcast, where we explain historical events in order to understand their importance. The less heard of, the better. Without further ado, let's get into exploring the obscure. Logan. Hello, everyone. Hey, Logan, you want to hear a joke? Sure. We're back on our regular recording schedule. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. It, it has been yeah. about two months since we last recorded because. Judging by the change in my calendar since it said September about five minutes ago, yep. Yeah, he only updates his calendar when we record. I'm only ever in this room when we were when we record okay so that actually does check out <laughs> um yeah apologize yeah, so how you been oh uh, well I, i'm good but um before we get into everything um apologizing in advance because once again i am in a hotel room um so there might be some background noise, and also my Wi-Fi is not the best. So um, yeah, there's going to be some growing pains with recording today's episode. <laughs> yeah, it it is better than it was in Virginia, though. We tried recording to for the audience. We tried recording when I was in Virginia. The Wi-Fi was not good enough. We kept disconnecting. The Lord does not want us to record in the same time zone. Well, you got to bring God into it, man. <laughs> he he brought himself into it, man. Well, okay, fair enough, I guess. Um, so at any rate, um, Logan, how have you been in the two months since we last recorded? <laughs> pretty, pretty good. Uh, the Catholic part of me is really looking forward to Advent and Christmas. And, mm. You know, it's a very happy Catholic time of year. The um, government worker side of me is getting a promotion. Nice. Yeah, I start Monday. Mm. Should be fun. It's gonna, it's gonna be a drive. Well, hey, better you to. Know. Better to drive for a promotion than not have a promotion. Absolutely. Yeah. That, yeah, that's that's about it for me. Well, I mean, I, it's been a wild, oh yeah, wild time. I um, I went back to Virginia as previously mentioned. Um, did a month long school there. Finally finished up the D&D campaign I started back in June. It's uh, a hell of a campaign. Uh, yeah, it was a pretty long one. Um, 
I also kind of had to railroad the end, but hmm. um, yeah, then I came back to San Diego. I can drive here now. Yay. If only I had been able to drive before I got blisters on my feet from walking for three hours. But that's neither here nor there. (laughs) At any rate, um, so today's a discussion episode. Uh, Yeah, this is the one most of you usually skip, I I guess. uh, Yeah... I think our di- well no actually depending on the topic our discussion episodes are actually more heavily watched than some of our other episodes. Okay, I, then I don't understand. Then we should do more of these. I don't understand the listening patterns of our listeners because like okay, well thank god they skipped Dante. Only 13 people have listened to Dante. <laughs> um <laughs> we have warned about Dante ever since Dante. Oh yes. But um like our most popular episode it, is our first episode, which field goal. And sorry, let me. I need to turn my watch off. Um, that was excellent timing. Yeah. Right. Uh, <laughs> field goal. <laughs> <laughs> well, it won't happen again. Um, but you know, our most popular episode is our first one, which field goal has over a hundred listens now. Second wow. most popular has been for a while the first episode of Christianity in Japan at 47. Mm-hmm. So that's a steep drop off. Not as steep as the Rings of Power. Oh, Ugh, okay. <laughs> okay, then. Sorry. Shots fired. Yeah, well, we're in Marvel Phase 4. I'm sure Phase 5 will be better. I, I can't. Yeah, I can't bring myself to watch Marvel anymore. The amount of content no. that I have to consume in order to watch everything now is like too daunting for me. At least our drop off is in viewership, not in quality. Or both. Quality can be argued. Uh, well. Once I get a more stable internet connection, though, we'll be good. Yeah. I miss my computer. <laughs> I know you do. And your headset and your microphone. All the equipment I had, yeah. Yeah. Mainly I miss the clackety-clack at the keyboard that you can hear in the background. Now all you get... That was such a good clickety-clack. Now all you get is me setting down a soda can. Imported monster. Yep. Uh, but... Well... Yeah, so... Yeah, so... <laughs> yeah. You can't copy me at the same time, man. Great minds say things at the same time. Yes. So, um, (laughs) Logan, you picked the topic for today's episode after a lot of deliberation. Uh, I did. So, for the audience, what we were going to do was do a brief overview of Queen Elizabeth, R.I.P., we're going to do a brief overview of her life, but um, I vetoed that decision, even though it was my decision, 
because one, I feel that's already being done ad nauseum. And yeah. two, um, that was two months ago. I forgot how um, divisive British monarchy can be. And black and Scottish Twitter reminded me of that. Oh, the Scots. Yeah, they, um, not to say they were reveling in her death, but, um. Well, the IRA was having a smaller party, I think. Yeah. Um, basically, British monarch dies. Um, people aren't necessarily broken up about it, to put it lightly. No. So that got us thinking of, um, all the other monarchs in history and we had a little debate off screen about were any monarchs ever truly good ever anywhere and so then we decided hmm does it really matter if they were good Not really, no. no. I mean, they're all dead now. Yeah. <laughs> but <laughs> historical impact. There's something we can talk about. Yes. Because, long story short, every monarch has their problems. That's why they're no, monarchs. Yeah. You know, I mean, like, even the good ones in the Bible. King David had, you know, Uriah killed. Stole his wife. Had how many bastard children? I mean, and and he's the golden standard. And King Solomon was um, how close to killing a baby? Uh, I mean, yeah, but of all the things, of all the problems with Solomon, you go to the one thing he kind of got right. I mean, do you want to get into the potential pact with demons? Oh, there's the potential pact with demons. The mysterious ring of solomon which he supposedly used to control demons to build the first temple of jerusalem cool story yeah point is but there's also the uh, crazy idol worship the how many wives exactly yeah yeah Solomon's I mean, still he... cool but yeah he's still cool but i mean he started off real real good praying for wisdom and all that stuff and then just went ballistic what if i control a prince of hell what if i control multiple like all what if i have child sacrifice in the lord's temple yeah you know from a um from a heathen's perspective i love it (laughs) from a catholic perspective i'm just like oh man come on man Damn. Metal is all hell, though. Literally. Yeah. So, I mean, these are, you know, supposedly mythical, possibly true people. And they're held to the gold standard. And even they're not great. Yeah. So when you look at the real ones, you know, the verifiable facts of history that we have record for 
How do they turn out? Yeah. So let's get into that. We have each, each picked two. One. That we think are worth some attention here. One of mine I am going to uh, largely gloss over because I would very much like to cover her life at length. Um, so that'll be a preview for a future episode. Oh, yeah. Um, so do you want to go first? Um, I'll let you go first. This is your topic, kind of your topic for the discussion. Okay. Okay. So my first choice then, and this is based on Monarch who has the most effect on history. And since, you know, my bread and butter is Western history, I think the most change to come out of a single monarch in Western history would have been from Constantine. Fair. And I'll give a couple reasons. He moved the capital of Rome to Constantinople, which led to the splitting of the Roman Empire in two, so that the Byzantine Empire could survive long after the fall of the Western Roman Empire. And that had a very lasting impact, honestly. It really did. It still has an impact to this day. Yeah. If he had When it comes to I mean the effect on the Eastern Roman Empire existing on religion. Yeah. Uh also if the um Eastern Roman Empire, later the Byzantine Empire hadn't existed, then um, the Russian royal family would have to go with something other than czar for their title. True. Um, for those who are not in the know, the reason the title was czar was because they could trace their lineage back to the Byzantine Empire. And the Byzantines still used the title Caesar or Kaiser, if you're German. Or Kaiser if you're pronouncing it like actual classical Latin. Which no one does, not even the church. Sad face. <laughs> also, the um, growth of the papacy can be traced to Constantine, who gave the church actual authority in Rome hmm. after legalizing Christianity for the Roman Empire, which some argue led to the downfall of Rome because of Pax Romana and among other things, of course. Uh, there's also... And pagan revolts. Pagan revolts or Christian revolts? Well, I mean, when Christianity becomes the primary religion and you've been worshipping Jupiter for, what, a thousand years? There's going to be some argument. Oh, true. I mean... The Christians also murdered people. Looking at you, Hypatia. I'll be the first to say we don't have a perfect history. Oh, no, no Look one at does. David. That's kind of the no. theme of this podcast, is that no one has a perfect history. Welcome to Cognitive History, where we cancel ancient historical figures, because 
No one is perfect. I mean, how many times have I taken a dump on American history? Well, there's plenty of dumps to be taken on American history. Yeah. Um, but you know that that that's my basis basically for Constantine. That's fair. The promulgation of Christianity throughout the Roman Empire, which then became Europe, the creation of the Roman Catholic Church. Not, you know, I'm Catholic, so Jesus created it in 33 AD. But it did not have any power or authority in society until Constantine. Right. Um, yeah, Christians were largely persecuted. Mm-hmm. Um, then slightly tolerated. And I think there could be an argument made that it wasn't until the time of Constantine where Christianity was truly seen as its own religion and not just a form of Judaism. Yeah, I mean, so that's the thing with uh, new religions is modern or ancient times, they're typically just viewed as being wonky cults. Mm-hmm. So, which story do you prescribe to for Constantine's conversion? Deathbed or battle? I believe that he saw the symbol in battle, which led to him converting the empire, but I don't believe he himself converted until his deathbed. Okay, so both. That's... Yeah. I like that headcanon. I mean, I don't see any reason to discard the effect that whatever he saw led to his victory in battle. Yeah. But at the same time, he's a Roman Empire emperor. He's pretty set in his ways. Yeah. And I can. These were not the kind of people to just jump and change everything about their lives in one instance. Yeah. It would have been a lifetime and, event. And regardless, I can see why, like, you know, you've been following a specific religion your entire life. Oh, I won one battle. That's cool. Um, yeah. I don't, I don't. I mean, it was a very important battle, but still. Yeah, I don't, I don't see someone converting their entire life and way of or way of life and religion. That's the right order for that phrase. Um, for having won one battle. No. Regardless of import. No. But I could I could see him converting on his deathbed because he's been, you know, building up the Roman church his whole career. He's moved to the capital, you know, started, I think he started the Hagia Sophia. Not sure, might be corrected on that, but point being, he built a lot of churches. Yeah. I think he uh, started the first St. Peter's Basilica as well, over what was assumed to be the grave of St. Peter in Nero's Circus, hmm. which is now Vatican Hill. And, uh, I mean, it was around him his whole life, so then he gets to his deathbed and he's like, you know... This god makes a lot of promises, and Jupiter just fucks around. Oh, 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 oh! <laughs> First f bomb on the on the podcast. I kind of bleeped. I heard it. 
I heard but it. you know is is Jupiter you gotta fair I mean to be fair oh no swearing by far the worst thing we've done on this podcast oh yeah um, yeah yeah one f-bomb to how many crucified babies at least one <laughs> So do you have a specific favorite moment for Constantine? Uh, in the mythology of Constantine, it would be him seeing the sign in the heavens and painting it on his shields. But in actual recorded history? In recorded history, it would be his conversion of the Roman people. Okay. How Catholic of you. Well, it's, it's for that, and historically speaking, if Constantine hadn't been the one to do that, who knows what religion the Western world would have been built up upon. Right. I mean, it's very possible that without Constantine's converting the Roman Empire to Christianity, that um, Christianity itself could have fully died out, honestly. As a Catholic, I don't think it's highly likely, but I don't think it would have. It would be where it's at today. I mean, bigger religions have fallen. They have. Roman paganism, for one. Yeah. How many pagan religions, for one? (laughs) (laughs) But. Yeah, I think. I think as far as historical effect goes that's one of the biggest moments in history yeah that that is that is fully fair huh my turn then i guess i think so all right so i'm going to go on the um brief one for the first mention so logan what do you know about chinese emperors uh, not a whole lot. Okay, well... I mean, I saw the Mummy Tomb of the Dragon Emperor, but I don't think that's really historical. I want to slap you. <laughs> so... Emperors in China were based on the Mandate of Heaven. Where have I heard that before? Well, so they had a different thing with the Mandate of Heaven, though. Um, You could lose the Mandate of Heaven. Mm. As opposed to, this is my divine right, said every Western king ever. Mm -hmm. And once you claim divine right in the West, you can't lose it because it's divine. True. But um, yeah, no, the Mandate of Heaven was very much... Um, you can kind of see it more as like a will of the people thing. So like, if you aren't a strong ruler in the eyes of the people, then you have lost the mandate of heaven to rule. Okay. So that, that is why you have different dynasties within China, because you would have one dynasty and the emperor would be really good, but you know, as it goes down the family line, they start getting less and less good, which is just the standard thing that happens. Everywhere. 
Yeah. So China would break, and then you would have a new ruler who would rise up, and they would be popular, and they would get the Mandate of Heaven, and that's where a new dynasty would come in. So, Hmm. um, in all of Chinese history, there is, or there was, one female emperor. Not empress, female emperor. Hmm. Uh, Wu Zechen. I'm not best on pronouncing Chinese. I try, but forgive me if that's horribly mispronounced. It's very difficult to pronounce Chinese yeah, properly. I, I can't. The, the All the different accents and the inflections with the speech make it difficult. I can do Japanese oh, yeah. because it's very phonetic, but... Um, yeah, Chinese is difficult. Anyway. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, so Wu Zichen, again, I'm going to be glossing over her because I do want to cover her at length in the future because her life is fascinating. So she started out life as um, the daughter of a very wealthy merchant And, okay, so it's going to be shocking for some people, but um, being an imperial concubine was actually a very good thing as far as viewpoints go in China. Mm. So Wu Zichen's dad was kind of a little buddy-buddy with the emperor, and he's just like, hey, you want my daughter? And <laughs> like, oh, yeah, sure. She's- as one does. Yeah, yeah, as one does. And like, <laughs> oh, yeah, she's she's pretty. Okay, cool. They sold her off as, a, as an imperial concubine. And so she was... Actually, that emperor's favorite concubine. Um, uh, let me see if because I forget which emperor it was. Um, not important if I'm going to cover in the future. Um, but basically, yeah, she was her husband or her husband's uh, favorite concubine. However, it was practice at the time that when an emperor died, his concubines would basically go to become nuns. Hmm. Yeah, see, Wu Zichen didn't really like that, though. I wouldn't figure she would. She came back and married her stepson, I want to say. Um, yeah, I know, it gets weird. Um, okay, this just turned into Chinese Game of Thrones? Uh, I don't think there was any biological relation between the two. Hope not. Hope not. <laughs> 
Um, but at any rate, um, she consolidated her power and started her own dynasty called the Zhou Dynasty, not to be confused with the Zhou Dynasty. They have the same name. It's really confusing. But um, it didn't last very long. It They went back to the previous dynasty. I want to say it was the Tang Dynasty. They went back to after she died. She... She did a lot of changes to Chinese society at the time. She was, like, she was a very fierce ruler, and she was also very, um, I want to say progressive, but that's kind of weird saying it for the time. Um, It's hard to say progressive today, meaning progressive then. Yeah, um... Obviously, a lot of the policies she implemented were very pointed towards women because she was a woman. Um, I also want to say she reinstated the um, scholarly exam, Mm. which had been done away with in favor of a meritocracy. She she was so influential that um, statues and sculptures of bodhisattvas still to this day have her face. Wow. Yeah. And I I do apologize to the audience for glossing over and not giving very much detail. Again, I'm just going over her at a base level because I, mm-hmm. I, we will cover her in the future. Her life is fascinating. Huh. But yeah, that's a, that's a brief overview of Wu Zetian. My, my favorite part is the fact that statues have her face on them. Yeah, that's pretty wild. Yeah. It's like all these people see her daily and don't even know it. Like, imagine if all of the paintings of Jesus that you see were actually discovered to have Constantine's face on it. That's crazy. Yeah. That's basically what happened with her. Well, at least, at least we know that all the portraits of Jesus that we see are not based on Cesare Borgia. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Some are. Luckily, Some are. not all. That, that's that's sad. Yeah. Well, and I mean, now we're also getting around to the point of, um, oh, hey, yeah, Jesus probably didn't have blonde hair and blue eyes. No, oh, no, most definitely not. I will say on this topic, though, there is a um, display that you can look up if you're curious about the shroud of Turin Mm. and these people have, um, using scientific methods, air quotes, if you want it, created a 3d model of what the figure wrapped in the shroud would have looked like. 
It was very interesting to see. I mean, you know, all the scarring and the facial reconstruction is is pretty cool. Yeah. Is it actually the face of Jesus? I don't know. Yeah, I know they uh like there have been obviously several tests done on the Shroud of Turin and um the results are dubious at best because if the results say like no this wasn't jesus then obviously the catholic church is going to get up in arms but if it's like yeah this was clearly jesus then the scientific community is going to be up in arms see that's the interesting thing about the shroud is the catholic church recognizes that you can accept the validity of it mm-hmm. but the church isn't saying one way or another whether or not it is the shroud well, to a degree, the wouldn't, shroud. wouldn't it be, um, I, I mean, it's kind of like idol worship in a way, isn't it? What do you mean? Like, I don't know. It's, it's veneration of an object. It is and it isn't in the same way that, you know. Catholics have statues of the saints, statues of Mary. You're not venerating the statue itself. You're not venerating the shroud itself. It's an icon more than the thing itself. No, that's fair. I I can definitely see some people going overboard with the icon, though. I mean, there, there are no Buddhists that worship a statuette of the Buddha. Not that they worship Siddhartha Gautama either, but you know you have your idols to point you in the direction of yeah Nirvana, salvation, however you put it. True. And boy, do Buddhists have some big statues. Yeah, they do. Big old bellied statues. Uh, no, no, no. That's a Taoist. <laughs> That's a Taoist thing. <laughs> Go go to Asia and go to any statue of a Buddha. None of them are fat. That's true. I don't know. My favorite statue is the Lucky Cat's paw. Oh, the Maneki Neko. Mm-hmm. That's not really a Buddhist thing, particularly, though. I'm not entirely sure what exactly it is, because you see it in Chinese restaurants here. Yeah, but that... It's a, I'm pretty, okay, now I need to look this up, but I'm pretty sure that's not even a Chinese thing. I'm pretty sure that's a Japanese thing. I mean, obviously. It's a cool statue regardless. Obviously, Maneki Neko is literally. That's very Japanese, yeah. It is full on Japanese. Yeah. (laughs) It literally means beckoning cat. (laughs) (laughs) I like that statue though. It's always so friendly looking with its paw up. Yeah, it's a Japanese thing. Is it? It is Japanese? Yeah. Um, Hmm. (laughs) Something we can discuss in the future is um, the strange melding of other cultures within the U.S. Yes. Yeah, that'd be a great one. Yeah. (sighs) And speaking of the melding of cultures... Here we go. That's a good segue. I think it's time we talk about my second historical monarch that I think had a huge effect on Western history. Who's your boy? 
Charlemagne. All right. Frenchie. Now, granted, he's got a he's got a cool name. Yeah. He started the Carolingian dynasty. He was named the first Holy Roman Emperor after the the uh, Empire of Rome had been gone for three hundred years, uniting most of Europe under the banner of the Holy Roman Empire, giving the papacy political authority over Europe, which lasted until, I think it's safe to say, the early 1500s when Henry VIII really wanted a divorce. Yeah. Um. <laughs> yeah, Charlemagne is... Um... A weirdly positioned figure, because like I said, Frenchy German boy. Yeah, yeah. He, he was the main leader of the Franks, mm-hmm. who are French. They're now French. Well, yeah, now. Um, That's where the term Francophile comes from, or the French money, Franks. And hot dogs. Which is now just a euro, you know. He'd be proud of the euro. <laughs> And 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 hot dogs, beef franks. <laughs> um. Anyway, beef, uh, beef Charles the Greats. Um. Anyway, yeah, no. So so, which by the way is what Charlemagne means, Charles the Great. Uh, he was not called yeah. Charlemagne basically, in his time. Basically, Charles Magnus. Yes. Um. So, yeah, I mean, he, he was French, but German. Mm-hmm. Because the Holy Roman Empire would, it, it was basically proto-Germany. It was proto-Franco-Germany because at the time the Franks were in charge of all of that area, which would then become Germany and France, yeah. as we know it. But of course in the Roman era, you had the two distinct areas of Francia and Germania. Yeah. So there, there's, there's a little weird playing in history of how land distribution works in Western Europe. And ethnic identity within Western Europe. Mm-hmm. But, you know, without the Holy Roman Empire, the Vatican would not have remotely gained what it has for itself. Yeah, although it came at the cost of a lot of infighting down the road. Oh, I think plenty of popes in history after the creation of the Holy Roman Empire sincerely regretted its creation. Oh, yeah, um... So there were my favorite thing is um getting into the infighting mm-hmm. who appoints who does the pope appoint the emperor mm-hmm. or does the emperor appoint the pope because i see where you're going with that after after the pope declared charlemagne to be the emperor of the holy roman empire yes um Emperors down the line would be the ones who essentially selected the papacy. They would implement their own cardinals to 
affect the College of Cardinals to go in the favor of what they wanted. Yeah. But which isn't purely limited to Holy Roman Emperors either. There were very, very powerful Italian families that did the same thing. Yeah. But and Spanish families like the Borgia. But the Holy Roman Emperor is obviously the most notorious for it. Yeah. But yeah, so that that started the there was this whole power struggle with the who appoints who. Oh, you're not the Pope. I didn't appoint you. I'm the Holy Roman Empire. Oh yeah, you're not the Holy Roman Emperor. I'm the Pope. I didn't appoint you, and so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, the eventual sacking of Rome by the Spanish, among others. Yeah. And the disposition of the Pope. Then you had the anti-popes that came thereafter. Pope fights. Yeah, yeah. Um, Charlemagne was declared a saint by one of the anti-popes and has not officially been declared a saint by the Roman Catholic Church in any actual pope capacity. Hmm. I think that's probably the most interesting thing about Charlemagne. He's not a saint. And despite, by all accounts, he probably should be. You'd think he would be. I mean, uniting Rome through the Dark Ages with the rest of what used to be Rome. And he he kept the Roman Empire alive in all but reality. And also, once again, um, if it weren't for Charlemagne and the Holy Roman Empire and that eventually developing into the country we now know as Germany, um, Mm -hmm. the Germans wouldn't have had a Kaiser. That's true. And if it weren't for Charlemagne leaving equal power to all of his sons, none of the Carolingian dynasty would have been weak enough to give some Viking conqueror Normandy. Yeah. And then, of course, leading same conqueror to become the first king of United England. Yeah, and basically... Charlemagne has a huge impact on Europe. Yeah. A huge impact which probably hadn't been seen since, of course, Constantine. Yeah. Hmm. But, you know. Yeah, I like I like that he wasn't, he's not a saint. I like that he was a massive dude, especially for the time. He was like well over six feet tall. Yeah. And bulky as all get out. I mean, that that, that was being a royal back then. Yeah. Eating well. And fighting hard. I think that would probably be the most confusing thing for people back in the day. Like if you time travel to the future. Mm-hmm. Is everyone nobility? <laughs> I can't see your bones. Are you, are you nobility? Yeah. Hmm. They they would not recognize the world we have today. Oh yeah, no, it'd be very strange to them. What do you yeah, mean? Well, what do you mean you bathe more than once a year? When did we start bathing once a year? (laughs) 
While we're at this subject of bathing, let's remember that the Norman Vikings would not have conquered England if the English women didn't like that Vikings bathed. Man, that's a fun historic point. Vikings were very clean. Yeah, they are also a very um, surprisingly egalitarian society. And the Anglo-Saxons were not. Yeah. <laughs> just, just remember, for all the raping and pillaging that the Vikings did. They washed their face before they ate. And they also allowed women to have a very strong standpoint in society. Right? They did. Women handled they... all the money. I think most amazingly, though, about Viking culture is that they combed their hair. Yeah, it... You know, it says a lot about um, the anglicized view of the world that we have, that Mm -hmm. everyone forgets these things about Vikings. The Vikings were the clean ones. Yeah, we call it anglicized, even though the Anglicans were anglicized. Yeah. Like... (laughs) Like, we really should be calling it Normanized, but, you know, that sounds too French. Yeah. But, like, like the, the main point is, like, oh, <laughs> these barbarians were actually the good ones. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But, um, speaking of non-British, not my strongest segue, okay, I'm giving up on it. Well, okay, here, let me help you out. Since my guy wasn't a saint... Oh, there we go. Let's hear about one who is. Speaking of actual saints... (laughs) And, and man, is the audience going to wonder how this woman is a saint. That's right, a woman saint. Um, There there are a lot of those, actually. Oh, I know, I just... I I like to make the joke. (laughs) At, at but unlike unlike most women saints, the one we're about to talk about is not Mother Teresa. Somehow less brutal than Mother Teresa. Oh, <laughs> little, a little too soon. How long has she been dead for? I don't know. Not that long. I mean, she spoke to the United Nations in the nineties, didn't she? Uh, maybe. I mean, Bill Clinton was in office. What'd she speak about? How to deny people medical treatment? Uh, no, she was uh, speaking against abortion. Okay, there's some low-hanging fruit there. I'm not going to touch it, though. Anyway, Um, saints and sinners. Yeah, okay. Enough of jabbing at Mother (laughs) Teresa. Um, (laughs) so Olga of Kiev, good old Saint Olga, she is awesome. So my fiance's favorite saint while we're at it. So she's not Catholic. So, so I mean that, that makes sense if I were not a Catholic and you know, engaged to a catholic i would probably choose the same saint because man (laughs) 10th century girl boss energy 
Oh yeah, she did some stuff. So, um, it's not known when Olga of Kiev was born. It could have been as early as 890. It could have been as late as 925. Somewhere a little over 100 years after Charlemagne. Yeah. So, um... So she was of the Kievan Rus. So progenitors probably, to Russia. It probably means that they were very clean. I would imagine so. I mean, they're seeing. Like, we'll, we'll get into it, but there's a bathhouse in this story. Ooh. So, old former Viking bathhouses. Yeah. Uh, so specifically, she was um, known for being married to, um, I believe her husband's name is Vladimir? No, Igor of Kiev. Igor. Um, her son was Sviatoslav the Brave. Um, she was the regent after her husband was assassinated because Sviatoslav at the time was three years old. And unlike other countries, they realized, yeah, maybe a three-year-old can't rule. <laughs> you know, probably a good decision there. Could you imagine a toddler tantrum leading to the conquering of a whole other nation? I, you know, I need to look this up, but it wouldn't surprise me if that actually happened in history. It had to have. So, um, what's the big deal with Olga? So, I mentioned her husband being assassinated, right? Mm. Um, so, specifically, the Kievan Rus had some bad blood with the Drevilians or sorry Drevlians I can't read um <laughs> so the Drevlians ambushed and assassinated her husband Igor and is it really hard to ambush a three-year-old no 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 I, I, Igor, not Sviatoslav. That was, Sviatoslav oh, okay. was her son. Igor was her husband. Okay. Um. So yeah, they. Hang on, you you just implied that she was married to a three year old who was ambushed. See, that's what I thought you had said. No. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so which unlike other nations. <laughs> okay, so rewind, rewind. She she was the <laughs> regent for her son after her husband Igor's death. Okay, okay, okay. At, at the time of her husband's assassination, her son, Sviatoslav, was three. So she took over okay. as the regent for him. We're on the same page now. Okay, good, good. Gotcha. So, <laughs> um... The Drevlians, they got a little uppity because, you know, they had just 
killed King Igor. So they sent a messenger to Olga proposing that she marry Prince Mal, who was a Drevlian, who was also the murderer of her husband. Um, yeah, so not, not the best thing, but yeah, so 20 Drevlian negotiators took a boat to Kiev, um, to pass along the message to ensure, hey, Olga, you know, marry our guy. Mm-hmm. And they arrived in her court and told the queen they were in Kiev, quote, to report that they had slain her husband and that Olga should come and marry their prince, Maul, end quote. Um, again, bold. Dumb move, though. It's like, hey, yo, I just killed your husband. I know you're single now. You want to go out? Yeah, no, it's exactly like that. Uh, it's like the Family Guy episode. No, it's just like, oh, I'm sorry, your your husband, Griffin Peterson, has died. Hey, now that you're single, you want to go out? <laughs> um. So, anyway, uh, Olga replied with, quote, your proposal is pleasing to me indeed. Or, sorry, your proposal is pleasing to me. Indeed, my husband cannot rise again from the dead. But I desire to honor you tomorrow in the presence of my people. Return now to your boat and remain there with an aspect of arrogance. I shall send for you on the morrow, and you shall say, We will not ride on horses, nor go on foot. Carry us in our boat. And you shall be carried in your boat. End quote. So, weird weird right power move yeah so the rest there in arrogance they do yeah the the drevlians return to their boat and uh the next day they their boat gets carried to a trench that had been dug the day before under olga's orders and they were buried alive In the boat. In the boat. Um, It is apparently written that Olga bent down to watch them as they were buried and inquired whether they found the honor to their taste. That's dirty. So there's more. So after that, Olga sent a message to the Drevlians that they should send, quote, their distinguished men to her in Kiev so that she might go to their prince with due honor, end quote. Um, The Drevlians didn't know that their previous messengers had just been murdered. So, yeah, they sent um, another party of men uh, who were apparently, like, the best men who governed Dereva 
And um, when they arrived, Olga commanded her people to draw them a bath and invited the men to appear before her after they had bathed. So they all go to the bathhouse and Olga has it set on fire. Nice. From the doors, so there's no exiting. What this tells me is she must have really liked her husband. Oh yeah, no, she 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 was definitely it was not it was clearly not a marriage of like political import only. Like they definitely had some feelings for each other. I mean you don't you don't go setting bathhouses on fire and burying boats full of people if you don't at least like somebody. Well, so if you thought that was all, you're wrong, because there's more somehow to this. Yeah. (laughs) (sighs) So, Olga sent another message to the Drevlians, um, ordering them to, quote, prepare great quantities of mead in the city where you killed my husband, that I may weep over his grave and hold a funeral feast for him, end quote. Um, Then... Her, or sorry, a small group of attendants and her went to um, Igor's tomb. And yeah, they they had a funeral feast and she did cry at his tomb. Um, the Drevlian sat down to join them and they started getting into heavy drinking. So Olga orders her followers to kill them. Uh, quote, and went about herself egging on her retinue to the massacre of the Drevlians, end quote. 5,000 Drevlians were apparently killed that night. Not bad. And Olga returned to Kiev to prepare an army to finish off the survivors. This is a lot of revenge for one guy is all I'm saying. Yeah, it is. You know, this has got me wondering. How is she a saint? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, I I I didn't I knew her story before I knew she was a saint. I found out she was a saint like yesterday. <laughs> what what exactly did she do later in life? Um clearly it was later in life she that she raised her son, but we'll get to that. Um <sighs> Yeah, see, all, all, Olga's story is also why I don't feel as bad for just glossing over Wu Zichen, because this story is long. Yeah. So, um... Huh. She's one of those uh, historical figures that we know way too much about. Yeah. For some odd reason. Yeah. So... Long story short, there's um, an army of Kievan Rus and an army of Drevlians who, they they start fighting. Um, the Kievan Rus push back the Drevlians to um, Iskorosten, which is today Korosten. Uh, which is actually the city where her husband was assassinated. 
Mm. Uh, the siege of the city lasted for a year without success. And then Olga gets back to thinking like she does because like the biggest of girl boss energy here. Um, so she decides to trick them and she sent them a message quote, why do you persist in holding out? All your cities have surrendered to me and submitted to tribute so that the inhabitants now cultivate their fields and their lands in peace. But you would rather die of hunger without submitting to tribute. End quote. Which is just an awesome message to send. Yeah. Um, so the Drevlians responded that they would submit to tribute but that they were afraid that she was still intent on avenging her husband. I wonder why they thought that. Um, Olga answered that the murder of the messenger sent to Kiev, as well as the events of the feast night, had been enough for her. And she asked them for one small request. Quote, give me three pigeons and three sparrows from each house. End quote. And the Drevlians are like, woohoo, this is, all all this girl wants is birds. We're Mm -hmm. good. So she gets the birds, and this is, oh god. (laughs) So she instructs her army to attach a piece of sulfur bound with small pieces of cloth to each bird. And then at night, um... She instructed her soldiers to set the pieces aflame and release the birds. So, fun thing about birds. They go back to their nests. Yeah. So, after they set these, essentially set these birds on fire, they go back to their nests, which are in the city that she is trying to siege. And the city burns. Um... Quote, there was not a single house that was not consumed, and it was impossible to extinguish the flames because all the houses caught fire at once. End quote. And as people fled the burning city, Olga ordered her soldiers to catch them, and some of them they killed, and others were given as slaves to Olga's followers. Um... Others were left to pay actual tribute, though. I think it's safe to say she's well on the path to sainthood. Yeah. So, um, later on, she visits Constantinople, and um, uh, she meets with Emperor Constantine the Seventh, and it's there that she decided to convert to Christianity. And she took on the name Elena. Helena? Yeah, Elena or Helena. It's It can be... Uh, it's written both ways, depending. It would have been, I assume, in honor of St. Helena. It was. Mother of Constantine the First. Yeah. Um... The patron of archaeologists. Interesting. Um, But yeah, so it's after her conversion to Christianity that I guess her son followed suit. 
and her son, again, Sviatoslav, um, who she was only the regent for. She was holding the power while he grew up. So Mm -hmm. he grows up and he converts the entire region to Christianity. So I think that's why she's a saint. That makes sense. It's pretty much for the same reason that Helena was a saint. She didn't do anything other than give birth to a dude who did something. Helena went back to the Holy Land and claimed to have found the true cross and all of these icons of the faith and brought them back to Rome. That's why she's the patron of archaeologists, because she's credited Mm. with finding all these historical pieces i'm still going with the main thing is she gave birth to a dude who did something yeah so while we're here on her sainthood um olga do you know what she's the patron of i want to know widows bro (laughs) imagine if every widow had her energy yeah no one would be left alive yeah it's it's amazing oh yeah but yeah um that is uh that's olga's story uh i have known that story for a while and we're on the topic of monarchs so yeah I like the revenge. I like the revenge theme. (laughs) (laughs) I like the ironic aspect of her sainthood. I, you know, I, I want to say she probably shouldn't be a saint with all that hardcore murdering. But she did convert basically russia yeah russia slash ukraine because modern day kiev is the capital of ukraine yeah so on that topic though of saints that um nowadays we look at what they're patrons of and think wow that's that's a little disturbing um like to point out two others that are just kind of fun while we're on it i temper my expectations the first one being um you know saint jude children's research hospital yeah do you know what saint jude is the patron of this go ahead lost causes oh my god not cool Now we have uh, St. Lawrence. (laughs) St. Lawrence? St. Lawrence was a deacon of Rome in the early church. And uh, this was before Constantine, Mm. I believe. He was ordered to bring all of the wealth of the church to the emperor as an offering. So he brings the poor, the downtrodden you know all of the what the emperor would call the dregs of society because yeah 
So he was roasted alive. Like spit roasted. Jesus. His last words were turn me over, the side's done. <laughs> now he is the patron of barbecues. How are you gonna do my boy like that? Right. <laughs> I mean, okay, so there's like the whole dark side of St. Jude, right? Yeah. Which, I mean, who better to pray to for, you know, children that have incurable cancers? I'm still going with that not being cool. (laughs) I think the Catholic side of me is like, yes, it's the perfect choice, but yeah, it's it's sad and messed up. You know, I... My brain is a horrible place, and you said there's the whole dark side of St. Jude being the patron saint of lost causes, and then I'm just like, yeah, and then there's the dark side of St. Lawrence, which is literally just a cooked dark side. Okay, so um, for everyone in the audience, oh. Note, I left it off just then at the tail end of a joke. Uh, Logan and I both lost connectivity um, right in the middle of that joke. Worst possible timing. Yeah. Uh, we wanted to try and make this seamless, but because it was at the tail end of a joke, that's kind of an impossibility. So, yeah, technical difficulties aside... Um... The Catholic Church is full of saints that are patrons of things that are just somewhat hilarious and sad. Yeah, we need to make them funny. Tragic, but funny. Well, that, that's what we're good at. I mean, you have centuries of practice. It's very true. So yeah, of all these monarchs who have had some crazy effects on history, I just, I just know there's so many we're missing. Oh no, I mean, if we covered four out of how many hundreds of monarchs? At least. Uh... Yeah, obviously, there's there's more that we can cover, <laughs> obviously. Obviously. Um, but these, these four, though, I mean, they, they did a lot. Some of them more impactful than others. Some of them yeah. really impactful in one regard. Looking at you, Olga. Some not really at all, depending on where you live. Yeah, like obviously all of these Western monarchs are not going to be very influential on the East and Wu Zetian is... At least until Francis Xavier. Yeah, and and then Wu Zetian specifically isn't going to have any influence on the West. (laughs) Um, But yeah, uh, and so one other thing that I want to do with these discussion episodes is I guess either at the start or the end of the episode 
can go over like one historic point that we've learned and stuff that we've been studying um since the last episode mm-hmm. so now that we're pretty much at the end of the episode and for brevity's sake because i don't want to um have to reconnect again um what i have learned and what i've been studying um so obviously i've been studying Wu Zetian a bit um i've also been studying mm. the plight of native americans throughout the centuries of the u.s and through colonization yeah it's it, it's bad it's not fun not a fun thing to learn about yeah. but important to learn about um and the one interesting fact that i've learned is um johnny cash in i think it was 1954 accidentally started mm-hmm. a fire in california that killed a nature preserve almost entirely decimated a nature preserves uh, population of endangered california condors wow yeah um and uh well so i can make it two in one so in relation to the california condor so there's been a few species where this has happened they've all been endangered like on the brink of extinction but specifically for the california condors there was one point where there are only 22 individuals left period in the world um wow yeah and when all 22 were brought in for health checkups essentially they all had a parasite uh it was a specific species of mite that only parasitized the california condor that we know of Mm. um so they were rid of their parasites so in propping up one species of bird we made extinct one species of arachnid so i wonder if i should be sad about that but i don't like spiders uh i i'm well so it's kind of a human condition where you care more about warm-blooded species than cold-blooded species or species with exoskeletons like the California True. condor has a legit purpose in the natural order of things. The mite that infested it probably didn't, considering it only infested one species. Mm. But yeah, that's um, that's what I've been studying and what I have learned. And uh, well, I've been nose deep in the bible mostly sounds about right yeah. how catholic yeah. of you i am i am such a terrible catholic that's why you go to mass but i mean it, it's 
what I've been learning most lately is interestingly about the accuracy of translations over time. Oh, and how it just turns into one game of telephone. Oh, it's one long, horrible game of telephone, and you'd think that modern translations of the Bible would be more accurate to the Greek and Hebrew, but they're way worse at it. Yeah. Um, I mean, the problem is languages develop over time, and also through each translation and translation and translation, you lose a lot of quality. Yes. And a lot of the phraseology used is not effectively translated into yeah, the way we would say it today. Yeah, definitely. But it's very interesting seeing, you know, from my previously Protestant, atheist, Buddhist, and otherwise perspectives... The Catholic Church as a whole, the Apocrypha. I'm particularly enjoying the seven books that Protestants don't have. Makes sense. Broadening my horizons. But that, in the context of this podcast and otherwise, leads me into learning more about historical figures like Constantine and Charlemagne and the early church fathers, Origen, Polycarp, who's not a Pokemon. You know, and... Polycarp. <laughs> that is what I'm... Siphoning through Polycarp. It's I'm a good going name. to name every single Magikarp I catch Polycarp. <laughs> But it's, you know, the myth versus history is very much alive in Catholic doctrine. and Just like every other type of history when it comes to, like, what did Constantine actually do? Did he convert? Did he not? Yeah. Throughout all of human history, we have myth, legend, and truth yeah and unfortunately sometimes those all get mixed in they do and it's very interesting seeing what can be backed up yeah so um next episode which hopefully we can have a better wi-fi connection for hopefully um it is your episode and i believe we already covered what we're covering mm-hmm. uh, which i have to make a self-correction for the children's crusade was not the first crusade i'm way oh. off way off on my crusader timeline well what number was the children's crusade then um i the third i don't know <laughs> All the all this crusading, it just it kind of blurs together over time. Yeah, some of them almost didn't fail. Almost didn't, but did. Yeah, they all did. They all did. There was no successful crusade. No. 
but it made the Pope happy and avoided war in Europe for a while. Well, yeah. If if you have a bunch of people fighting a perceived enemy in the Middle East, then they can't really have the time to fight amongst themselves. Exactly, especially when you're selling indulgences for it. Yep. And that's something we will also get into in that episode as well, not to yeah. spoil too much, but... Yeah, indulgences, but... Martin Luther. Yeah. <laughs> we'll get into all that. It is relevant to the Crusades. Yeah. So, up next, church corruption. <laughs> Indulgence. Bloodshed. Murder. Huh. But yeah, um, we will, um, I will do my best to get this episode out on time. Um, as always, if you think we need correcting on something, if you want to shout out, if you want to request a topic, email us at cognitivehistorypodcast at gmail.com. Make sure to follow us on Facebook at cognitivehistory.pod. Um, subscribe in your favorite podcasting apps. Yep. Um, Unless sure. it's Apple Podcasts, because we're not on there. No, nope. uh, I can't figure out how to do it, and I whatever. Enough people use Spotify, um, and we're both apparently Android fanboys now. So, eh. yeah. Um, share us with your friends if you think we're good. Share us with your friends if you think we're not good. Make share us, us better. With your friends. Just share. Um, share, be good, spread the love. Indeed. But not with a condom, because that's against my religion. <laughs> oh my god. Uh, in all seriousness... At any rate, uh, we will see you in the next one. Bye-bye.